Good morning. I'm not often up here in the pulpit, so some of you may not know me. My name is Charlie Walter. I'm the shepherding pastor at Keystone, so naturally I oversee a lot of the personal ministry work that happens here. So in this message, you'll probably hear some influences that come from my personal ministry experiences, especially from counseling. Well, let's first rewind back to Pastor Brandon's sermon last week. The big idea behind that message is that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. He said, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And he used the story of the first person born, I say born, in the human race. That's Cain killing his brother, Abel. And Brandon made the bold statement, if you think Cain was a psycho, you don't understand your own heart. If you think Cain was a psycho, you don't understand your own heart. Brandon also repeatedly asked two questions throughout his sermon. How can this happen? And what can we do? The answer to his first question is simple. Our hearts are messed up. Today, I want to focus on answering his second question. What can we do? I want to start by getting us to consider what we personally may be struggling with, whether we're talking behavior issues, thought life issues, or heart issues. Now, when I listen to sermons, I'm a note taker. I like to use the sermon note pages that are usually available in the lobby. For for today, because of the way I typically teach and preach, I thought it would be helpful for everyone to have the sermon notes. So we put them in the bulletin. So I encourage you to to get them out right now, uh, out of your bulletin. Even if you're not a note taker, uh, maybe they'll just be helpful for you to follow along. Well, on those notes, and also up on the slides, you'll see uh, that we have listed possible behavior struggles, thought life struggles, or even some that could be considered heart issues. If you're not too proud, maybe circle the ones that you can identify with. The first one on there you'll see is anger. I'm talking about flare-ups of uncontrolled anger. Or maybe uh, some of us have trouble forgiving someone who has wronged us. Or maybe there's sexual immorality issues like lustful thoughts or viewing pornography, premarital sex or extramarital sex. Maybe we struggle with an addictive behavior with alcohol, drugs, food, or or whatever. Maybe even social media can be considered a, uh, an addictive behavior. Maybe we're obsessed with Facebook. Or maybe worry or anxiety is our problem, that we're just worried or uh, that we're very anxious about an unknown future, whether that's a, uh, a test that we have to take this coming week or whether we're waiting on a, a, uh, the results of a biopsy or something like that. Uh, worry or anxiety. Maybe we're a people pleaser, uh, what the Bible calls fear of man, that we are too concerned about what others think of us. Maybe we lack patience in certain situations or in certain relationships. Maybe we're not fulfilling our responsibilities as a dad or mom, parent, brother or sister. Or maybe we have communication struggles that the words that we offer to others are not kind and gentle. Maybe they're harsh and and mean. Or maybe we don't communicate when we should. Maybe we just kind of withdraw and don't say anything, just sweeping things 
under the rug. Or maybe our communication has profanity laced into it. Maybe we're not caring for our own body well, like we're not exercising, we're eating poorly, or we're smoking, something like that. Maybe we're not offering grace and mercy to others or even to ourselves. Maybe we're just plain overly critical. Or maybe we struggle with a discontentment, just being grumpy. We can't seem to get happy. And then I've put four uh, sins of omission. Sins of omission are when there's something that we should do, but we're not doing it. We call them sins of omission. And I listed four of them there. Like not spending devoted time with God. Not following through with promises to family. Not witnessing to our unsaved friends. And not serving God when we feel Him calling us to do something. Now this is not an exhaustive list of sin struggles. uh, But there are lots of things that we could be struggling with. But I put a couple blanks. They're at the bottom of the list that you can write in your own sin struggles if uh, if there's other things that you should consider. Well, I'm guessing that there are probably some things on this list that you circled. If not, that's awesome. But I'm guessing that many of us have identified several struggles that we at least occasionally deal with. I'm also guessing that some of you are thinking, Wait a minute, I don't need the shepherding pastor pointing out my sins to me. I already know where I'm falling short. What I need is help to overcome these sins. Well, that's what this sermon is about. It's for Christians who are struggling to live the victorious life that God wants us to live. Today is about what to do after we are convicted of a sin and we want to change, but we just can't seem to get there. We're going back to Brandon's second question. What can we do? Well, I want to try, what I want to try to do is to get us to grasp the superior power we get from our new identity in Christ and how to tap into it. Let me say that again. What I want to try to get us to grasp is the superior power we get from our new identity in Christ and how to tap into it. And we need the Lord's help for that, so let's stop right now and pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you asking you for help. You've given us this amazing gift of Christ, putting him, the spirit of him, in us, changing us. And so, Father, we we thank you for that, that gift. But, Father, help us to understand what that means to have him inside us, what it means for our identity to be changed and the powers, the resources that we have and how to tap in those, to those things to, uh, to live a different life, to, to live the godly life, to be able to defeat some of the sin struggles that we, that we just listed. So, uh, uh, Father, we, uh, we ask for your help with today's message. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, let's make sure we're all on the same page with the phrase identity in Christ. And I encourage you to open your own Bibles and turn to Galatians 2.20. And although I'm going to be referring to a number of different scripture passages today, you really 
only need to turn to two of them, but this is one of them. This Galatians 2.20 is a key verse. We're also going to spend a bunch of time in 2 Peter, so you can turn there eventually. Uh, but the other verses, I'm just going to put up on the screen. You can look at them when I put them up there. You don't really need to turn to them if you don't want to. All right, so here we are. Galatians 2.20 My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first thing we see is that Paul was killed. He was crucified. He no longer lived. Now he was still up and walking around, so what died? His old self, his old ways. And one of the big deaths here was the power of sin. It was crucified with Christ. So if Paul died, what is left? Christ. Christ lived in Paul. Christ lives in me. As I look at myself, either as I look down at myself or I, or I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see Charlie because Charlie died. I should see Christ because Christ now lives in the place of Charlie. Do you think this is a little strange, a little hard to believe, maybe even a little creepy? We should. It's crazy. It's amazing. It's not natural. It's actually supernatural. When we accept Christ as our Savior and choose to follow Him, there is a supernatural identity change that takes place. Paul explains this. Paul explains this a little more in detail in chapter 6 of Romans. Let me read that to you. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. All right, notice a couple things in there. It says, our old sinful selves were crucified. And that the power that sin had no longer has control over us. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says something very similar. Let me read that. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Or some of your translations uh, may say a new creation. And it says, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Charlie is gone. Chuck is gone. Chuck was crucified with Christ. He no longer lives. Charlie lives I'm sorry, Christ lives in our place. As crazy as this may sound, it is for real. We should look at ourselves and see our new identity, our identity in Christ. Now, as we look at ourselves, there are two huge self-perception changes that this identity change should give us. The first one is value or worth. And I'm not talking about self-esteem here. That, that phrase, self-esteem, you won't find it in, in the Bible anywhere. It is an esteem, uh, and it is kind of a pride, but it's a pride in Christ. It's an esteem in Christ. We could call it Christ-esteem. So 
when we look at ourselves and we see Christ, naturally we should have a very high opinion of, of ourselves, of Christ actually, a high value, a high worth. It's a, it's a big deal. Now, many of us mistakenly get our value and worth from something other than who we are in Christ, like our performance, our appearance, our athleticism, our, inte- our intelligence, our job. The list goes on and on. This is a really important self-perception change. It's huge, and we talk about it a lot in counseling. But it is not what today's sermon is about. Today's sermon is about the second self-perception change, which is potential power. Potential power. Think of it this way. Think what you could have done on your own before your identity changed. Now think what you can do if you base it on what Christ can do. Compare your power to the power of Christ. Let me talk about our yard for a minute. I'm talking about the lawn around my house. It is so hard. I'm pretty sure that when the when the excavator spread the dirt back over our lot after the house was built, um, he had two piles of dirt that he could choose from. One was the, the sub-earth or whatever you call it, and the other was topsoil. I think he grabbed from the wrong pile. I think what he spread over our lot was clay so hard Um, and I think he must have got a vibrating roller to compact it it's just you can't imagine how how hard it is it's like concrete now our family likes to play croquet and I'm usually the one who sets it up shouldn't be a big deal pushing nine wire wickets into the ground and two wooden stakes should be pretty simple but in our yard it is a big deal I've tried a couple things. Um, I tried taking the wickets and grinding points on them, really sharp points, so they could be pushed down in the ground. That that didn't work. One year I got so, well, I was trying to hammer the wickets in, that didn't work. One year I got so frustrated, I took a, a portable electric drill, cordless drill with a masonry bit, and I actually drilled holes in the ground to put the wickets in. I'm not kidding about this. That's what I did when neighbors thought I was nuts. Well, why am I talking about my yard? Well, if you look over there on the stage, you'll see that big rototiller. One of the things I found is that if I'm going to do any landscaping, planting, whatever, I need to break up the soil first. And I have two choices. I could do it with my own strength, with this little hand tiller that I have in my hand right right here, or I could use some non-human power. Dean Pfeiffer's Husqvarna 24-inch, 5.5 horsepower, model 5,500 rototiller. Dean, fire that puppy up. Tim, the tool man, would be proud. But the difference between this, this little hand tiller, 
And that rototiller over there is nothing compared to the difference between what I can do in my old identity of self and what I can do in my new identity in Christ. And this brings us to our main text, which is 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. And this is the text that we're going to spend most of our time in, so uh, feel free to, to turn there. 2 Peter 1, we'll begin at verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Alright, let's start with the last two verses in that passage, and I'm going to read them again. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Peter is writing to believers. If we go back to verse 1, we see that, because he, he just comes right out and says, I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. So he's writing to believers. But the problem is that even as believers, sometimes we are forgetful, short-sighted, or even blind. When that happens, we fail to be as productive and useful. What I've found in my counseling ministry is that many of us don't always fully grasp or we've forgotten how our identity in Christ can really benefit us. We forget the resources that are already ours. When I first started to grasp this identity thing, I had an interesting change in how I saw my relationship with Christ. I used to picture Christ as this God who walked alongside me wherever, wherever I went. Um, he, was, he was right here beside me, walking with me, always. And this gave me a certain level of peace, knowing that he was there. But then, when I started to grasp this identity thing, it got way better. Instead of Christ being here, I realized he was here. He, he's in me, not beside me. Not just walking beside me, in me. Big difference. Alright, let's go back to the beginning of the passage. And I think this is the best part. This is such an awesome passage. Verse 3. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We started out this message by identifying areas in our lives where we may not be living that godly life. This verse answers Brandon's question, what can we do? 
Well, it's not our power that is the solution. It's His divine power. And it says God has given us everything we need. Well, what is everything? Answer, Christ. We've been given Christ. He's in us. But what do we get when we get Christ? And here's, here's where it gets a little theological, so just bear with me here. God has attributes, or in other words, characteristics. Some of those attributes are communicable, and some are incommunicable. You've probably heard of communicable diseases. Those are diseases that can be transmitted from one person to another. Communicable attributes are the attributes that God has chosen to share with us. So when our identity is in Christ, we have those communicable attributes of God. And here they are, courtesy of Bible scholar Wayne Grudem, right up there on the screen, also in your notes. Now, we don't get the incommunicable attributes of God like uh, omnipresence. We can't be in multiple places at the same time. It'd be totally cool if we could, but we can't. But look at all the attributes that we do get. Those are the ones in the, in the red font. Look at all of them. We get all those. Let's pick a few of these to describe. My favorite is the attribute of peace. Now don't think human peace here. Think divine peace or the peace of God. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 shows this one very clearly. It says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is God's peace. His peace. And when do we get this? Right there at the end of the passage. Here's the identity phrase. As we live in Christ Jesus. I remember years ago getting the phone call that they thought my mother was about to die and I should go out and immediately uh, be with her. My mom and I were very close, had an intimate relationship, and I had about a half hour drive to get there. I didn't know whether she was going to die be before I got there or maybe die and uh, in front of me, and I would have thought that that I would have been an emotional mess. But you know what? I, I wasn't. I had a peace that was beyond understanding, just like that Philippians verse said, uh, a peace that was beyond understanding. That is divine peace. That's the peace of God. And I've seen the same thing in many of you as shepherding pastor, I am often involved in crisis situations with you, whether it be a vehicle accident or waiting for the results of a biopsy or major financial problems, whatever. Many times I see you guys handling these crises in peace. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And it comes from this, this divinity, Christ, who is inside you. All right, another communicable attribute we can look at is love. Think of the love Jesus Christ has for us. It's sacrificial love. He loves us so much that he suffered 
and died for us. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's an other-centered love. That love is in us. It's not just that we get that love. It's not just that the Jesus is giving it that love in that direction. We get to give that kind of love coming out of us. So it should go both ways because that love is is in us. This help us this helps us to love the kind of people who we may find hard to love. And and probably when I said that some some people's faces came to your mind right then. Some people are just harder to love. But with the love of Christ in us, we can love them like Christ does. This attribute of love in us overpowers our selfishness. And 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 shows this really well. It says this, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. It says, they will no longer live for themselves. Living for self is one of the top heart issues I deal with in my counseling ministry. The answer to this heart issue, as well as many other heart issues, is found in our new identity in Christ. There is power in this attribute of love. At the beginning of verse 14, it says, Christ's love controls us. Christ's love, which is in us, is way more powerful than the sin of selfishness. A couple more. Let's consider the attribute of mercy. Mercy is when God withholds the punishment that we deserve. We know that because of the work Christ did on the cross, we don't have to suffer the penalty for our sins. But, do we realize that we have the attribute of mercy in us? We have the power, the supernatural power, to not lash out at someone when they commit a wrong against us. In my counseling ministry, you would probably not not believe the stories I have heard. Acts of infidelity that are downright awful, that show me the depths of the depravity of man. But here's the good news. I have been privileged to witness spouses who have shown mercy and offered forgiveness in many of those situations. The the only way to understand how they can do it is to realize that they are tapping into a supernatural power, a divine attribute that they have because of their identity in Christ. Okay, one more. The attribute of omnipotence. Omnipotence is derived from two Latin words, omni, which means all, and potence, which means powerful. Put them together, it means all-powerful. God is all-powerful, totally in control of all things. So, you're probably thinking, wait a minute. We don't get that attribute. That should be an incommunicable attribute. Well, like many of the attributes, we don't get it to the degree that God has it but we do get it in part. God gives us power, and we are way more powerful in, in our identity and in Christ than when our identity was just in ourselves. A couple verses that tell us about this power that we get. Ephesians 6.10. And this is the passage where uh, the, uh, 
where we're told to put on the whole armor of God. And verse 10 says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's the identity phrase, in the Lord. And whose mighty power? His. So his mighty power is in us because we are in the Lord. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So what does this mean? How does this play out? When I try to help someone who's struggling with an addictive behavior like porn, I don't find it effective to just teach behavior modification. Fighting addictive behaviors in our own strength is usually futile. What has lasting results is to tap into our identity in Christ. God gives us, look at what it says there, God gives us the power to do what pleases Him, and certainly giving up, view, uh, giving up viewing porn would please Him. One other thing that comes from this identity change, it doesn't really fit into this sermon series on power, but it's awesome, so let me quickly point it out. In that Philippians verse, we see another thing that changes with identity with uh, with our identity change it's our desires god changes our heart or in other words our passions our appetites our affections our desires they change to be to becoming more christ-like we should see our desires for sin, sinful behaviors diminishing and i say diminishing not totally eradicated Unfortunately, sin will not be totally eradicated until we are glorified in heaven. Okay, so hopefully you're getting the idea that we have incredible, superior, even supernatural powers to live a godly life. But maybe, as I describe how these four particular attributes play out, maybe you're frustrated because those attributes are not showing up in your life. I think that for many people, the Spirit of Christ is in fact inside them, but they're just not tapping into the power. So how do we do that? How do we tap into those powers? That rototiller is right there, and I know how to power it up, or at least I can get Dean back up here to, to fire it up. And we know that the Spirit of Christ is here in me, but how do I power it up? Let's go back to the Second Peter passage, and uh, again we'll we'll begin at verse three. It says, "By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. That's the Bible." These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Before we look at the how that we tap into this power, just look at verse 4 for a minute. It says, we get to share God's divine nature. Isn't that crazy? Divine nature. We're being given that. We're being given a divine nature. And it's so that we can escape the corruption caused by our human desires. So just think of the the change there. Divine nature versus human nature. 
What an incredible gift. That's why I love this identity, this identity stuff so much. Okay, how do we do it? Verse 3 says, By coming to know Him, that's Christ, by coming to know Christ. If Christ is inside us, but we don't really know all the attributes that He has that are available to us, it doesn't really do as much good. Let me give you an illustration. We used to have a Pontiac Montana minivan that had a DVD player in it. The grandkids loved it. But the DVD slot was in the back, and all the controls were in the back. So from the front seat, I had to contort my body like a gymnast to put the DVD in the slot. It was so hard to even find the slot as I was leaning back over the seat trying to feel my way around with my hand and then find the slot and put the the DVD in it. And then I needed to work the controls, which of course I couldn't see. It's half a dozen buttons up there to push. And and I needed to power it up first and then once I got it powered up, uh then what comes on? Like a hundred preview clips. And the kids don't want to watch the previews. They want to get to the main feature. Why well, be reaching back blindly trying to push the right buttons to uh, to fast forward and then and then stop it where the uh, where the main feature starts and the, and the kids they can't help because they're all strapped into their car seats so they're just telling me uh, what to do and I'm pushing the wrong buttons and they're yelling at me don't push that one and then I push one of the ejects the DVD and I have to start over it was ridiculous just ridiculous well, last year we decided to, to sell the minivan, not because of the DVD player, but we did decide to sell it, and so I thought I'd better clean it up a little. I was wiping down parts of the interior that I never wiped down before, and guess what I discovered? A second set of DVD controls in the ceiling console, console right above my head in easy reach. I never knew it was there. But I sold the van a week later and never got to use it. So dumb. Well, I think many of us Christians suffer a similar problem. There are resources or powers available to us that we don't even know are there, or at least don't know the amount of the power that's there. So when Peter tells us that we, can, that we get everything we need to live a godly life by coming to know Christ, this is more than just knowing Christ as our Savior. It's knowing all his attributes, especially the communicable ones that are now part of us. It's really getting to know him. Well, how do we do that? The best way is in verse 4. It says, God has given us great and precious promises that enable us to share his divine nature. The great and precious promises are in His Word. We need to be in the Word. Church, just think what we're missing if we're not in the Word. We're limiting ourselves as to how much of that divine nature we are tapping into. Here's an important clarification on this identity stuff. Our identity changed when we got saved. At that very moment, my old self was crucified and Christ came into me. But 
tapping into the powers that we got and actually becoming Christ-like is a process. It's a process. And we call that process sanctification. And in verses 5 to 7, we see some of that process. It says this, In view of all this, talking about the identity stuff here, make every effort to respond to God's promises, which is His Word. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. This shows us that we are actively involved in the sanctification process. Verse 5 says we are to make every effort to do this. Now notice the first virtue in the list. It starts with faith. It has to start with faith. Faith is given to us from God. It's not something we muster up. If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't have the identity change. I'd still be just Charlie. And my identity would not be in Christ, but in Charlie. There's no way I'd make much progress in this list of virtues if I didn't have the attributes of Christ available to me. So, through getting to know Christ, through the study of His Word, I will become more Christ-like and will tap into more and more of Christ's powers. But it is a process. Now, Colossians 3.10 says this very concisely. I just love it. It says this, Put on your new nature, that's the divine nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Okay, so what? What difference does all this make to me or to you? I want you to think back to the behavior struggles or thought life struggles that you identified at the beginning of this message. Imagine tapping fully into the power that Christ has to conquer those struggles. Let me just quickly give one example there. Maybe some of, some of us circle discontentment. Maybe some of us are just downright grumpy at times for some reason. I'll tell you, when it's late, like 11 o'clock at night, and my computer doesn't do what I wanted to do, look out. Mr. Grumpo can come out. And when he does, it ain't pretty. But knowing my identity in Christ can help with this. But it's through the Word that I learn it. Let me show you. In Philippians 4, beginning in verse 11, it says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. When you hear that, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Don't you just want to stop and say, What is it, Paul? What is it? He says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, whether my computer is working or not. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This passage is really about contentment. Paul was able to be content through Christ. 
and the power that he got from him. This doesn't mean that my computer will start working right, but what it does mean is that I have the power to be content even when it doesn't. All right, let me close by going back to Brandon's second question. What can we do? When we look at the struggles that we circled on our own papers, what can we do? I I sure hope you know by now. If if not, I must be a lousy communicator. What can we do? We tap into that superior power that is ours through our identity in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you and ask you to help us with this. You've given us this incredible gift, but it's so incredible that it's hard to fathom. So, Father, first of all, help us to fathom it. Help us to to understand what it is when we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Help us to understand all these attributes that are available to us to tap into, to be able to deal with the, the sin struggles that we have in our lives. So, Father, help us to understand them. Help us to grasp. But then also, Father, through your word, help us to tap into them, to be able to use these resources so that we so that we can live a godly life and in doing so may that bring you glory and it's through jesus we pray amen